Welcome to the Umbrella Archives. Please select the desired service from the menu. I have taken it upon my authority to revoke your access privileges to the mainframe system. Welcome to episode two of our quarantine special on Resident Evil films. It's me, Alexander Nash, and it's also Hank. Starting to feel a little sick, itchy, and hungry. Okay, what do you have? That's a weird Resident Evil reference. Uh, I figured somebody might get it. There is um, a novelization of most of the Resident Evil games by, I believe, J.D. Perry. just about everything in the 1980s all the aliens novelizations uh, like platoon uh, every i mean because that was really big for a while there would be a, a a basis from the script sent to somebody and they would write a pump a quick novel out and it would get released with the movie as you know as a little side piece or you know just profit capitalism and uh it goes into great detail of some of the people inside of the facility uh, uh under the Ar- you know, Arkham Mansion or whatever the fuck it was called, the Spencer Oswald Mansion in the first Resident Evil game, about them getting infected and 
wow, this is an awful intro. I'm just, who cares? Resident Evil, the books. You can check it out and Google it on your own. I'm Hank, the world's greatest. Hollywood Hank, the world's greatest. And this is day two of our quarantine special. I already forgot what we were calling it. I'm sorry. I'm, all, I'm bad at this. <laughs> The quarantine Resident Evil special. Oh, yeah. You know, just two episodes, we were talking about me going to the greatest co-host of all time awards, and I think maybe it got to my head, and I'm just, I'm feeling a little lackluster going into Resident Evil 3. Yes, going into Resident Evil 3, um, Resident Evil 3 is kind of a change for the Resident Evil series. Not a major yeah, change, Max but... Now. Well, like, really what ended up happening with Resident Evil 3 is it came out... And the like the first two did moderately well, and this one did less significantly well. So this was kind of the end of the Resident Evil series for a good many years because they just didn't seem profitable anymore. I mean, it made money, but it just didn't make the kind of money they were expecting it to make, uh, which is kind of a shame because I think it, this one's got some good things working for it. Mostly, for me personally, it's director Russell Mulcahy, who is famous for making Highlander. He also directed Razorback, the most artistically filmed uh, giant mutant killer pig movie ever made. You love Razorback. Um, Ten years, eleven years of doing this show, and that's uh, one thing that is a constant. You it's love beautiful. Razorback, and your favorite thing is the lighting, that that blue scene uh, toward the end of the movie. I've heard you tell the story. It's I've heard this story as many times as Tom Savini has told his Vietnam War story. It's a good well, I one, mean, though. just seriously, if you look at Razorback and if you look at Russell McCahey's career, I mean, he did a lot of music videos in the 80s, but his film work, for the most part, he's had some stinkers in there. He also directed Highlander 2, The Quickening. Um, but he always films oh, things Highlander really 2. well. They always look really good. Now, the script for this movie is a big old pile of shit. Um, it is not a well-written script. They didn't know where to take this, but... I think it kind of. Well, I don't. I don't know least... if it's a matter of they didn't know where to take it because I think they really were trying to take it to a new direction, but it's just fucking baffling, and I can't figure out quite where that direction was going to be. Because I mean, when you go from the end of Resident Evil two, with Raccoon City being bombed or whatever, and and the the virus breaking out, moving into part three, the infection is just unbelievably large. Everything is gone. Society's fallen. But somehow Umbrella Corporation still has internet and satellites and these huge underground complexes running off of some form of power, I assume. And this is I had mentioned on uh, the last episode, it's going to start getting a little unbelievable with the amount of power the Umbrella Corporation has. And this is where it starts really for me of just like, how do they still have all this stuff? What is going on? Where is where is the military? Where's any form of government? We are not acknowledging absolutely anything at all anymore it's just fuck it it's umbrella this is it this is don't worry about it just this well i mean we introduce a lot of new concepts to the series at this point but it's it's your mad max one it's where a group of survivors are in a what amounts to a fucking wagon train i mean they're in cars we're but it's a big, wagon big train convoy. i mean we're, go we're going Ain't for a western a theme sight. here sorry i had to sing convoy
Um, and basically we had them searching through the wasteland to make, to make their way. And it, what seems interesting about this is the world is basically over. Most of uh, the planet seems to be a desert. Not all of it, but you know, big chunks of it are just uninhabitable. I mean, for fuck's sakes, Vegas has been overrun by dust storms in, what, a few years? So they go for an apocalyptic vision on this one, which I can respect. Now, where they carry this over into the next one makes no fucking goddamn sense whatsoever. But I will say that they it did attempt to go for something for the in this one. And I think the zombie footage in this one is some of the best in the series. Uh, like the Day of the Dead references uh, with the uh, Call Your Aunt Alicia scene, basically. The, uh, the zombies surrounding the fence outside of the facility. A lot of the zombie footage in this is really great. I'm not a fan of the birds. I was going to ask you right now. CGI killer birds. That was my Fuck first those question. those things. Yeah, uh, and part of my problem with that, too, is, yeah, as I brought up with the Doberman, why don't we get anything else? I mean, the game even had fucking leeches. There was no hold bars. Crows, leeches, dogs. There's a shark. There's a shark in the remake of one of the games, I think, first Resident Evil. There's just some absolutely crazy concepts that are thrown at you, and we went kind of really basic with, with what you ended up getting with you know Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, and there's such a world of, you know, these bioweapons and this horrible concept and mutations and what you're given is just kind of lackluster. I do, you know, I enjoy most of... For me, I think what I like about the movie is you actually have some form of character development with people. You, know, you bring Carlos uh, and back into this one. Jill, I guess, is just gone. I think the reason behind that is the actress just couldn't commit to it, and they easily have no problem recasting other people, but I guess Jill wasn't an option, so they introduced the Claire Redfield character, and that's another cool female lead, and it's fun, but there's just... But there's nothing for her to do other than go, hi, I'm a character from a video game. Alice, go and run this movie. Well, I kind of do some lines in the background. They didn't even give her basis of Claire Redfield, so this was, you know, uh, fuck it, we doesn't, it doesn't matter how she looks. And you know, I, I forgot to reference on the last episode, the, the Dr. Ashford character that just kind of gets neglected is, you know, that's another character from another game, Code Veronica. That's uh, diff three different characters that have been mixed together and just kind of thrown away. And this is the first time we start to really not acknowledge a lot of the events. You get a scene with um, Alice and... Carlos, where she's discussing why she ran away and, and what went on, but they give no reference of what happened to the child or what happened to Jill. And eventually back riding will lead us to, you know, the, uh, Jill's plight, at least. The child, seemingly enough, is gone, and the Dr. Ashford character is completely gone now. He's replaced by Dr. Isaacs. And Dr. Isaacs appeared briefly in Resident Evil 2. You know, he was cut into some of the scenes of... Uh, Matt's mutation and the process on the Nemesis program and the doctor responsible for cloning the now dead and second version or maybe third of Alice, which is who we're leading into in this movie, who now has uh, she's Carrie, I guess she can control fire. This is problematic for me because she has these amazing fucking powers and she can telekinetically do shit. So why doesn't she use them when there's massive hordes of zombies attacking? It just none of this shit starts making sense anymore of what well, she's uh, capable of doing. I think they're trying to do that lost character thing of like she doesn't even know her power level yet and she's still learning things. It's like, yeah, but she's so OP the entire time. She's just so overpowered at this point and you've developed nothing with her character other than 
I don't know, I'm a badass. She has no vulnerability. Even I'm not even talking about like physical vulnerabilities. I'm talking vulnerabilities of um, just as a person, as a human being. She just, oh no, somebody died. I don't want that little kid to die. But that's that's about it. She doesn't even really mourn Mike Epps, the most important goddamn character in this fucking whole series dies and it's just like ah, eh, whatever Mike Epps is dead there's some ignorant ass stuff with a child in another movie but there was nothing more upsetting to me and I think this is what really turned me off is how they did Mike Epps what's her name Kmart yeah, well there's Kmart and then there's another movie where she becomes obsessed with a fucking child for absolutely no reason and they even explain we'll get to that one later uh, uh, aliens is aliens the reason <laughs> the, the most baffling fucking thing to me is you're given a gift you were given a diamond a man like Mike Epps. His character was like the greatest thing about Resident Evil 2, and you bring him into part three, and you dishonor this man by giving him the shittiest character possible. He's the motherfucker that gets bit and decides not to tell anyone else. You did Mike Epps that dirty. You did him, and, and of course they had you to You make... treat him like he was white. Yeah, well, they even make they, they have cool. to even go against that and make a, a reference to he's the only person that might have weed. Why? Why are you, is it because he's black? Is that why you're making Mike Epps that funny? Okay. Ha 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 ha. And wait, what was, um, was uh, what, what's that? Ashanti? Ashanti's in this movie for Briefly. like five minutes and they do nothing with her character and she's just gone. I don't know if they just wanted her name on the poster or what the whole point of it was, but like you gave her nothing to do and then you kill her. Well, they, I mean, that is uh, begins early on with the series, and in part one, you've got JD and a bunch of the other strike team guys that are, are just decimated right off the bat. Rain gets bitten, what, four or five times before they even get to the middle part of the movie. Part two, they just, half, half, half of the characters you're introduced to are just going to get wasted. And what I've realized is if somebody makes it to the next movie, they're either going to be uh, mild, mindlessly not explained why they've been erased or killed. That nobody survives two movies at a time unless they're Alice. And and this, for me, gets to be a little bit of a bummer because I wanted, just personally, I some think of they the did characters. do Carlos, Carlos some, some justice. I think his scene was actually pretty fucking cool in the movie. Like, it's a good little zombie explosion kind of interesting deal. Well, that's where I was kind of going with it, that, you know, you have some really incredible characters that you actually get depth with. And, and out of the entire series, I think Carlos is the only person that you truly get to see a personality with. Because when he's introduced in part two, it's to save a girl's life who's already been bitten and decides to kill herself but the entire scene is, is a sentiment to his personality and what type of person he is and his selflessness in part two and how our three rather sorry when he you know really drives one home for the team it's it's sad but it's one of those appropriate moments but you would think at least that there would be another reference to it perhaps throughout the series or one of these other characters the entire emphasis of him doing this was to save everyone's life and then we go into the the next movie Fucking none of the characters are there anymore. That's just like, eh, we got tired of them. We might give you Claire, a little bit of Claire. Maybe, I don't know. She dyed her hair. Again, somehow. but Claire is a pointless character. She is there just to wrangle the survivors around while Alice does all the fucking work. She's not like, she's not even pretty much like tough at all. Where she's did just she kind find of like, red hair dye? whatever. She's a leader. It, it baffles me how she got her hair done, and Alice constantly has some some really nice highlights, you know, <laughs> manicures. It, it, it's just Everybody like... Everybody looks a little too good for it to be the apocalypse, I will say that. <laughs> and another thing, not just costuming, but it's just the decisions for some of the things these wearing. Why is everyone in a goddamn crop top? 
Who decided that this was short shorts time? This is the apocalypse, and I know comfort really matters. You know, it, it's it's the end of the world. We all want to look like the Lord Humongous or some awesome leather-clad biker, and it's not happening that way. But these characters gotta have something. Like, in part two, there's a scene where Alice actually gets clothes, and she's at a gun and ammunition store, and she picks, like, bell-bottoms and crop tops. It's like, God damn it. This is just, you're not even trying to give me any form of entertainment. Everyone's wearing sleeveless t-shirts. You can get scratched and bitten easily by zombies, but no, I got to show my biceps. Welcome to the gun well, show. Well, the whole point of it is, though, how can I watch a movie? I mean, this goes into modern, like with uh, Birds of Prey and uh, Captain Marvel. How can I watch a female in an action movie and not want to jerk off to her? Why are you making me just like respect her as a person? Why is she just like not, you know, actually wearing tactical gear? No, I also need to jerk off. That's the most yeah, I'm important sorry. thing is I can jerk off to this. I definitely am asking too much, I guess, uh, out of a, a masculine dominated cinematic world. You know, guys like Harvey Weinstein run massive cinemas, so there's not going to be uh, adequate combat gear for any of these characters. So I definitely am asking too much. It does get almost abrasive with the amount of times Mila Jovovich is nude in the series, though. It's like, ah. It's I'm I'm not against it, but it, God damn, there's no reason for just like, hey, she's naked now. Every time I've she gets seen captured, the wife naked more than you have, Paul. I mean, yeah, every time she's captured, they just put her in, you know, a, a white piece of paper. Like, I get it, it's a clone. I mean, can they at least give her a fucking tracksuit, something to stay warm with? I don't know. It's and I'm not complaining. Nudity's nudity. I mean, it's it's a part of horror, you know, Joe Bob. Blood, breasts, booze, beer. I, eh, but this, there's no, there's no necessity. There's no necessity for the amount of just like, hey, she's naked now, and nobody else is constantly nude. There's no other character that they kind of exploit as much as uh, Miljovovich. This is also where we start making zombies a hell of a lot interesting. We start having them run around and be able to jump around like it's Steve Miner's Day of the Dead from 2007. It's like, we're, oh, now we've got to have them be fucking nutsoid so we can have crazy action scenes. And it's just like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in slow walking zombies particularly. That's just a personal opinion of mine. So when you get into this hyper action of zombies bouncing and like being able to jump like on top of fucking building and just it's it's mindless bullshit for me personally. But as far as the story goes, like really the whole point of the story is to get um, Alice into the underground facility that Umbrella is having in this desert so she can learn more about herself so we can find out that she is in fact a clone that they tell us at the beginning of the film. Um, and then so there's no real like surprise at the end. It's just an, another fucking action scene. It's just like, let's get to the underground facility. You got a monster. They get least. there. You get the and white they, queen, like, and you get a you get a cool. I mean, I like the tyrant. I, I enjoyed what they did with the the Doctor Isaac it's characters. Fine. The tyrant's fine. I mean, it's a, it's a whatever on an action scene, but there's the movie is plotless. She learns some more powers, and then she fights another big monster at the end, while everybody else steals a helicopter and flies off to the fucking Arctic or some bullshit. Even Alaska. though there is not enough gasoline in that helicopter, not enough space in that helicopter for everybody, there's no way that helicopter is taking you. Where are you, Vegas? You might get to fucking Vancouver. You're not getting to fucking Alaska, trust well, me. They never specifically say where they're at. They go to Vegas because they think there's gasoline, and then they kind of forget that entire plot because of the Dr. Isaacs character. So I guess uh, trying to, to stick to guiding the audience to what happens to Alice and some of your characters here. So we've got Carlos following through from part two. He gets bitten and sacrifices himself. 
Mike Epps gets bitten and hides it. They do him so dirty. I don't know why they would give him such a shitty character, especially when, you know, it's fucking Mike Epps. Everyone else is kind of cannon fodder. There's no personality for the Claire Redfield character. You find out that Alice can is Carrie, I guess. She's super Carrie, maybe, which she can't use the powers to help anyone by God. And she fights Dr. Isaacs, who has gone absolutely insane and has injected himself. Well, he was bitten by an infected zombie, uh, for all intents and purposes. One of the things I'll say that I appreciate... A super zombie? It's a super zombie. Well, that's where I'm going with it, that uh, as you had referenced, you don't particularly like... And I, I'm with you. I prefer you know the Ramiro-esque zombie. I have a deep appreciation for Return of the Living Dead, but that's a different story for a different day. They give you a brief at, at least. At least they just ran in Trailing Dead. They don't bounce. They don't fucking fly and shit. And they have super strength. Well, later on in the series, I'll have a problem with what they do with the zombies. But in this instance, they at least give you a brief explanation as to why they're super zombies. They just don't throw them at you. Like, all right, this movie, they're fucking incredible. They're, these are super zombies now. Take it and eat it and like what we've given you. They spent like three minutes showing you. And that's the bub scene where it's learning, you know, the, the Aunt Alicia thing. But you're allowed to, again, suspend a little disbelief and realize, you know, okay, well, they've taken Alice's blood because the T-virus, she's the only thing, what we learn massively in this movie, she's the only thing on Earth that the T-virus will meld with and not destroy. So the intended effect of what the the virus was created for, to make a, a superhuman, pretty much, is what we're being introduced with. That this wasn't a bioweapon to make zombies, this was a bioweapon to make a superhuman. So you're given a little bit of uh, creativity, a little bit of, uh, you know, a little science fiction, but it's still a believability. You can have a teensy, teensy, teensy bit of hope, which I warned you about having, and because it's completely false, and it's going to go away, absolutely. And then I, Oh, it's going to blow up in your fucking face here shortly. Yeah, it's it's just going to fucking self-detonate. But I liked how this was handled, especially toward the end. I And it was, you know, over-the-top, 2000s, uh, Matrix-esque action sequences, but I liked the tyrant, I liked the battle... I liked kind of the bittersweet hope of Kmart getting the notebook and them all going off to Arcadia and everything's going to be okay. And so See, where I are like we left? I like the ending of it. I like the ending where Alice finds all of her clones and she's going to go after the remain, remaining members of Umbrella. And it's like, oh, this could be interesting. This is a completely interesting idea of like thousands of Alices that are like, you can almost have like a fucking war or something where you're like, all these Alices are killing zombies and all that shit. That's what we're teased with at the end. And then when we get to the next film, we get to the next film and it's the beginning of them retconning the last movie. Let's do 10 minutes at the beginning of this film to kind of like ride our way out of what we ended the last one with. And that's generally what they do from now on is just like, I know we promised you thousands of Alice's. Here's a scene with it, but it's going nowhere and we're just going to kill them all off. Well, eventually they, they will return shortly to uh, the concept of more Alice's, but here it's just even gotten more dismal. From and this is where I really start to get confused going into what what's the name of part four Afterlife Resident Evil Afterlife I don't remember this is where it gets fucking fuzzy as shit to me I cannot remember because no one have any goddamn numbers because we've got to like every time just throw a fucking subtitle on it and say fuck it so it, I can't keep any of the titles apart you couldn't number them because the video games were already numbered and they didn't have specific titles until like five or so and then there were sub games like Code Veronica and one that came out for the Wii. But I believe, what, 2007 by Russell McCahey is Resident Evil Extinction, 
And we are beginning to move into from 2010 Resident Evil uh, Resident Evil Afterlife, written and directed. But notice by... the gap there. Notice the gap between oh, yeah. the movies is a lot longer because this one was not very successful, and the only reason that this one Part Four was successful and was made to begin with is because the 3D craze had really started. So let's make a 3D Resident Evil film, and that's what they did. And that's pretty much the only concept they had was to make a 3D film, and this despite, you know, humanity's better judgment, actually turned a really good profit. So that's what has propagated the series from part four on was the fact that the 3D really oversold and made ticket sales actually, like, boost ticket sales a little bit more. So, again, we're divorced completely from reality when we get into four, though, because all we're really interested in is having a lot of exploitive 3D shots and not, like, interesting exploitive, just, like, freeze frame on everything this is all isn't this where she um adopts the concept of putting quarters in her sawed off shotgun yep. so we can have slow motion scenes and then blast it into the camera it's just like really goofy shit and this one is fucking plotless and shit i think personally because well we like she storms the facility and was it tokyo that she goes to to kill everybody and go after wesker uh, the umbrella head facility i guess we neglected to bring up the addition of the albert wesker character in resident evil 3 and in the video game he is uh, an ultra powerful guy and we you know it doesn't matter how deep we get into the video game history with what the character I laugh is my ass off when they introduced them because I was like what the fuck is this Matrix bullshit this guy in a trench coat it looks like JD from Grandma's Boy but in reality that's what he looks like in the game are you shitting me yeah even even before the movie like the very first game I always thought it was hysterical because the the, the, the beginning is at night and the character just doesn't take off his sunglasses and it, you know it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme sort of statement and I think I, I love how they actually handled making him out of all the characters I'm they thinking chose. about getting robot legs uh, I, I just like that they, out of all the characters, they chose to make Wesker the most realistic to, to what the movie was. I'm trying not to laugh at the goddamn Grandma Boys quote. I'm thinking of getting metal legs. It's a risky operation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I keep losing my train of thought because it's like, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at you that. You would if you had robot legs. Keep talking about Resident uh, Evil. It's... Don't laugh at it. Grandma's Boy's a fucking... God, we should have... We'll add that in. Maybe we can do a Grandma's Boy commentary track with that. It just involves us smoking a lot of... Uh, CBD, depending on <laughs> what legal state you live in. What the fuck was I talking about? Ah, Wesker. I like how um the character was handled with just hey, because it's it's I think the most familiar character. And if you are a Resident Evil fan and and you enjoyed the game, that's something that truly stands out to you. But in the it doesn't really matter so much the video game facility of how the character is in the movie version. What we're introduced to in part three is he pretty much is like the head honcho at Umbrella, and he's calling all the shots here, and that Dr. Isaacs is his subsidiary. And and remember that, because later on, I guess they just decided that that didn't matter. So, going into the next movie, Wesker is just, it's beyond a James Bond villain of power. I mean, this guy is pretty much like God, for all intents and purposes, and he has... He's Agent Smith! Well, has he gotten <laughs> uh, modified at this point? Or is this the movie where it he... It doesn't matter. I, mean, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna yeah, I think because at the end they like they throw that shit at the end with it because that's when we get to the the the, the cruise ship that everybody's going for. But like, oh, little fact, um, you do know who played Wesker? I don't know if it was in this one, but it's definitely the last two. It's one of the. It's the dude who gets bit in the grocery store in Land of the Dead, and he's in Diary of the Dead. 
They change actors. I, I can't recall uh, who played him. Yeah, first. I think he's in five and six, but that's him. It's just like, oh, really? It's the guy from Diary of the Dead? Fucking weird. Complete off the topic. But anyway. I think it's Sean Roberts four... in uh, Resident Evil Afterlife. So is that is oh. that who you're talking about? No, I'm talking about he's definitely in five and six. He played Wesker from, I think it's a different actor in this one, but the dude from uh, Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead is definitely in five and six. Um, but like the plot of this one is Alice after the fucking apocalypse, when all the Alice's get killed, there's one left, the original Alice, I guess, who flies to uh, Alaska to find well, hold her friends. On. That's, Can't... that's how the last movie ends is she does a video conference with Wesker and says, I'm going to bring some friends. And then the movie begins with Alice and a bunch of ridiculous ponytailed Alice's clones. Her hair changes constantly through every movie, and she has swords, and her ninja abilities are just uh, vastly superior. Why couldn't that just been the movie? Why has it got to be a 10-minute intro sequence? That should have just been the entire fucking film. And I don't want to hear an excuse of, you know, it's hard to, to use different actors. Fuck you, Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers, okay, don't argue that you can't shoot two act or one well, actor just, doing no, something. No, no, no. You, know? you couldn't write. That's the big problem. They couldn't write their way out of what we do with this concept with a bunch of Alice's. Let's just kill them all off and like let's just start like that never happened at the end of this one. And that's what they do from here on out in the series. So when she gets to Alaska, she finds Claire and there's some sort of scarab that is a mind control scarab on Claire. Now, I'll have um, a little defense here because one of the games, I think Resident Evil 5, uh, uses a mind control subplot with the character Jill. But how they handled that was she was, you know, captured and, and used as a scientific experiment, pretty much brainwashed. It wasn't some weird chest piece. So this is where they start really borrowing a lot of instances and uh, brief nods and a little homages toward the, the video game series. But it's just bizarre. It's like, out of all the weird devices you could use, why was it one that would force the female characters to wear low-cut shirts? Couldn't be, like, a little thing <laughs> on the back of the neck? Like, it's it's the future at this point, and it's a zombie movie, so it couldn't be an injection. It just had to be some giant piece to uh, expose breasts. All right, okay. So, again, we have to suspend some reality here because this is majorly for jerking off. And is Jill back? Is this where Jill, or is she back as the, the villain in the next one? And she appears. No, she's at the end of this okay. one. She's at the very end of this one. Cause like, she, and she's got a scarab on her. But um, what happens to Alice is she, her and Claire take her glider, like it's escape from fucking New York, and fly to some prison in L.A. I thought the world was mostly dust in America, but apparently now L.A.'s still there, and there's a bunch of people holed up in a prison. You said that earlier, and the, the last film explicitly states when it begins that Alice is outside of Salt Lake City, and then they go into Nevada. So I don't know if it's entirely like I know I, I know they're retconning a lot of things, but I think it was made to you know give you the idea that the Midwest and and California is mostly decimated, and maybe like L.A. upward uh, to like Seattle and and uh, the the Puget Sound or whatever is a little bit more hospitable. I don't know the entire. Uh, location setting of where everything is supposed to go off is baffling because you get the idea in the first movie that it's supposed to be maybe like deep in the mountains, but they tell you it's also Midwestern and none of it makes a lot of sense. Not that it, I guess, specifically matters at this point because it's what we're in a, really this is the Escape from New York movie. I hadn't uh, connected that or thought of it until you said it, but it is incredibly reminiscent. Well, she lands on top of the building and then like Kim, uh, Kim Coates. What's his name? 
Yeah, Kim Coates steals the glider to get to the cruise ship that is supposedly housing all the uh, the people from Alaska. They're like, oh, we just we got on this uh, this uh, fucking cruise ship, and that's that's our freighter ship. They they've been receiving transmissions, and that's how what they realized what Arcadia was that it was some sort of cruise ship that was uh, you know housing and and saving people. Uh, on a side note, I love Kim Coates, man. That guy plays a dick so well, and it's one of those things you can't really not help but think the guy must be an asshole, you know, James Wood style, because he just does it so well, and I'm not I'm not trying to say he is, but tell me when he isn't an asshole. He was in one of those random Amityville sequels, plays an asshole, Sons of Anarchy, he plays like a corpse fucking asshole, and in this instance, he's just, a, he's a movie producer, and I think that's one of the funnier inside jokes that, uh, you know, they're even poking fun at culture and the fall of society at this point, so it attempts to have a, a reasonable political message, and it's oh, weird. that's just like, throwing there's there, a like, goof. I, that's weird. a reasonable political message. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. It's like it's trying to say something, but at the same time, it's like, what are you trying to even say? Like, what? Shut up. Don't, I'm don't, trying don't to say Mila kicks ass because that's making what all the series Evil. is about. And yeah. is do we introduce the uh, the octopus zombies in the last one or this one? I think they're briefly in the last one, uh, but the, this one we go full force with the fucking the mouths that open and turn into fucking tentacle faces, which is from some Resident Evil game, but not from the I think the the uh, canon, the you know the major canon uh, as a whole. I think it's like an offshoot game that they did. It's one of the official ones, but it's something that uh, again, well, they have an official, but for. not part of the one, two, three, four, five series like that. I think it's, um, I think it's resident evil four, uh, that Leon Kennedy, a character introduced in the, the second game is sent to rescue the president's daughter from, uh, uh like a cult that has created a virus called Las Plagas. That is like a weird little, germ that can be injected into you that is kind of like a living parasite and uh, can control your mind but you still have some sort of capability you're still you know like you can run you can use guns you still have some form of thought but you're also kind of a, a weird infected monster and then the the game following that i believe is uh, returning to chris uh, redfield and they go to africa and it's uh the Las Plagas has gotten because there's multiple viruses in the game. You've got the T virus, the G virus, the C virus, the progenitor virus, the T Veronica virus, uh, the Las Plagas virus. And in the movie, you've got the T virus and then a green bottle that apparently is the antivirus. And then there are just uh, bizarre metamorphoses of whatever is happening. And I, I want to say it's like five or six. They actually say, this is the Las Plagas strain, and they try and give uh, a nod to the game and some attention to the fans that were really into that, but otherwise, it's not explained. I think it's either this one or the next one during the opening monologue by Alice that it's explained that the the virus strain has began to uh, It's mutating, to I yeah. think, or... It's fucking dumb. Regardless, is this where we get I don't want tentacle faces on. No, that fuck. is dopey shit. We got that dumbass axe man in the last fucking movie. That was one of the most unexcusable, stupid things to to show. I mean, you don't. No, even... he's in four, isn't four? he? No, yeah, the fourth. He starts shows up in the fourth one. The I don't weird think he shows Silent up in the Hill one. thing. Yeah, that was that's the most unexcusable one for me. That you're blatantly ripping off pyramid head from silent hill and there's no explanation to i mean okay the tyrant you get where this giant fucking man came from yeah the tyrant makes sense you understand why he was created you're shown that on screen the nemesis you understand you've shown it on screen even the liquors in the very first movie you're given a reasonable explanation and 
once they become giant lickers, it's a little strange, but they're, you're also told that when they consume human DNA that they uh, can get bigger or whatever. So a lot of these things were previously given to you and make a little bit of sense, but what the fuck is this? Who's making these giant axes and driving nails into this monster's head and putting a big potato sack on it? Whose job is that in Umbrella? <laughs> Why is that even but it's a visual? Cool. I See, Look I didn't find motion it fucking... Action. I didn't find it even amusing. It just annoyed me. Like, at least give me a giant mutated tentacle monster. Why do you have to give me a weird sackhead? Fuck you, sackhead. Well, and the plot of this one with them being, like, I stuck in this lot. prison that's surrounded by zombies is just kind of boring. And we introduce Claire's brother, who is a guy in jail or some nonsense. Then we bring his character in for literally no reason other than he's in a game. Isn't it funny? It's Wentworth Miller, and he's in jail. It's funny, because jail. But, um, and this one just, like, it, it really drags its feet more than anything, because it's all about getting out of this prison, getting to the the, the freighter ship that's, like, you know, going around the, the coastline. And they try all these different things, and then there's a bunch of dopey action scenes of her, like, flying off the goddamn building with a rope and i don't know i just i could not i can't get into it this is where it just it starts losing it for me because it's just a series of terrible ass action scenes that like are beyond reality beyond any sort of understanding and we're really not even trying to do characters anymore we're just bringing in people who ultimately are just fodder to be killed we're just kind of hey what's this i'm a i'm a pro basketball player i was hey i was uh i worked at a fucking um, an electronics store, whatever the fuck. It doesn't matter. It's just like, okay, you're just all going to die anyway, and if you don't die, you're not going to show up in the next movie, so who gives a shit? So what's the point of you introducing these characters at all? You've truly lost hope of any continuity with people's development, and you know, like Carlos, like I would mentioned in part three, was one of the actual last characters that you got anything with, and uh, does anyone, I mean, I know at some point Claire will come back, but I don't think anyone really... Uh, returns from no. I'm sorry. You've got the basketball player. He will return senselessly for no reason when we, yes. we get into the next episode. And so does uh, Claire shows up again because she's absent from the next film. And Jill shows up at the end of this film when she like her because uh, she's now a part of Umbrella because she's got the scarab and she's in a skin tight Matrix suit. Well, she and looks like the Baroness like, from GI Joe. That's just weird. And she, they're like dive bombing this freighter ship after like we do a really dopey fight scene with Wesker and him trying to like convert Claire. Right, like they killed everybody on the ship and they've been experimenting on him. It's been a whole umbrella oh, trip yeah, the entire the, time. The most strenuous scene with the Cerebus and the dogs, because now they have lost Bogus oh, and they can split open. And one of the dumbest effects is when she kicks the goddamn piece of glass and it, it splits <laughs> the dog. I mean, it's just bafflingly dumb and it truly is the, the agent Physics Smith no thing. longer apply. Yeah, and, and the last bit of comedic nature you have with the Kim Coates character is completely wasted. That's somebody that at least could have been used a little bit longer. So where are we with Alice? What uh, we've, We found out that her powers now are just absolutely... Well, she doesn't have any powers anymore, does she? Did she? He takes them away in this film, I believe. Is it this one that she's lost them, or is it... It's, I, I don't... I, I, I have I'm pretty really sure lost she track. lost them in this film. So, yeah, at some point along the lines here, Alice becomes normal, but it doesn't seem to affect anything. It doesn't change the yes. development at all. 
I'm remembering. At the beginning, she has a big fight with with Wesker in the the plane before it crashes, and he shoots her up with some bullshit oh, that's that why takes all of her powers away. So we can retcon that, and she can't throw fireballs and shit anymore. So we gotta we've got to fucking you know nerf her a little bit for this film, so we can actually have it be interesting, and she can't easily get out of any situation. So we just we retcon her having powers. That that's the the story of this series too. We're just gonna kind of ignore that. We'll retcon it a little bit so we can just write whatever the fuck we want to. Thank you for making me human again. And there's just no more acknowledgement to even what was going on. I mean, by the time we get to the end of this, Arcadia is just uh whatever. That whole plot device we don't need anymore. So we're not gonna reference it at all. It's gone. Uh, giant battle. No, the a bunch of umbrella fucking. Like airplane helicopters storm in and pretty much kill everybody on the ship, but take Alice hostage. But we, we don't really see, we just see the beginning of the battle because we've got to have a cliffhanger for Resident Evil 5, which is again in 3D and again retcons a whole bunch of shit and makes no goddamn fucking sense. So, where are we at with all of our characters? Who are we left with by the end of Resident Evil 4? They're all gone by the beginning of Resident Evil 5, except the basketball player guy does come back, even though he thought he died in this one. But they do like show he's not dead in this one at the end. But I think he's the only one left. Even like the little kid gets gone. But we don't know until the beginning of the next one. So it's assumed Kmart and Chris and everybody else and Claire has been taken by Umbrella, or that they're hostages of Umbrella. And this one introduces... Alice breaking out of a weird cube. I mean, it reminds me heavily of the very first cube movie at the introduction of this one. Oh, well, we'll have to get into that one next time. I guess the ashtray's full, the bottle's empty. Wash your hands.
by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience.